0: We've been looking at the attributes of God these past few weeks, and thus far we've seen the spirituality, infinity, eternity, and unchangeability of God, and so now we're we're looking face-to-face with God's intellectual attributes. We started a new attribute yesterday, the omniscience of God, and I wanted to flesh this out a bit more on the program today. One of the ways that the Scripture speaks about God's omniscience is by using the word foreknowledge. Scripture speaks of God's foreknowledge in a couple different places— in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, Peter preaches to the people on the day of Pentecost, and he says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed. And then again, in First Peter 1, 2, we read uh, Peter addressing the letter. He says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, that word foreknowledge simply means the knowledge of something before it happens. But as many great theologians have pointed out, Augustine and and others, it's not proper strictly speaking to speak about the foreknowledge of God, applying foreknowledge to God. Augustine asked, what is foreknowledge if not knowledge of future events? But can anything be future to God who surpasses all times? Or as Gregory the Great once said, whatever is past and future to us is immediately present in His sight. Therefore, properly speaking, God's foreknowledge is just another way of speaking of his omniscience, not that God has to look into the future. So then, brothers, why does the Scripture use this language, then, of foreknowledge?
1: Well, I think that there's a couple distinctions that we have to make. When we talk about omniscience, we're talking about his knowledge of all things. Everything. Nothing is hid from his sight. And scripture repeatedly in many ways talks about that omniscience and that when we talk about foreknowledge, it's a it's a term in the New Testament that's used maybe only four times. And so there's it's a, there's a limp, it has a more limited scope. And so when we're talking about foreknowledge, we're not talking about Actions and events. What we're talking about is his knowledge of an intimate relationship. Um, he's, you know, God foreknew those who, whom he he predestined those whom he foreknew. Yeah. He he predestined and loved those who he foreknew, and so in some ways we can say he foreloved us. And and it's really talking about an intimate relationship uh, that he knows who his own are.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And maybe just in simple terms, foreknowledge is just speaking of a knowledge as it would be perceived by us. So we're bound by time and space, God is not. Mm-hmm. But because we're not God, God uses terminology to condescend to our frameworks. Mm-hmm. So when he talks about that Jesus has been, um, was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, Um, What is just being communicated to us is this didn't happen by accident. Mm -hmm. Um, That he would say that even before the foundation of the world, God knew this event, had decreed this event, and according to our frameworks of time, it's foreknowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, He's not speaking as in the terminology of God because only God it would only apply to God and God doesn't need the Bible to inform him. We need the Bible to inform us. Mm-hmm. So the yeah. language is human language.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, you used, uh, Russ, you used the, uh, the term God condescends. And, uh, Calvin famously said, God talks baby talk mm-hmm. to us. Uh, just as you, when you're talking to an infant, you don't use adult <clears throat> terminology and, and sentences. When you're talking to a small child, you, you speak in terms that the child can understand. Mm-hmm. That's a, a limited, a very limited analogy because God is infinitely greater, you know, his knowledge and, and omniscience insta- infinitely greater than our knowledge compared to a, than the difference mm-hmm. between an adult's knowledge and a child's knowledge. God is infinitely beyond that. But, but the image works, mm-hmm. uh, that God condescends to give us this image of foreseeing what is all in the eternal now to god Mm -hmm.
3: and maybe i'm going to go in a direction that i'm going to get dirty looks from those around the table but i think (laughs) dealing with foreknowledge is sometimes helpful even when dealing with matters of salvation because i think sometimes this has caused a lot of difficulty for people um, because it then confuses them on what does election mean yeah does God elect people, draw them unto Himself as as His own treasured possession that He um, decreed from from before time to say these are these are My people? Mm-hmm. Did He do that based upon the fact that He looked down the corridors of time and said these people are going to put their faith in Me? So mm-hmm. based on His foreknowledge, He then made a decision to elect, yeah. or was that foreknow- or was His election? um not based upon the will of the person or based on his own will. Mm-hmm. And I just have heard foreknowledge used in this context yeah. a, a lot incorrectly. Yeah. So I'll let my brother speak to that.
0: Yeah, I know, well that's that's where we're going to go next because you you kind of described um kind of a kind of an Arminian non-reform view of the way that God elects based on um kind of a a naked bare intellectual type of of knowledge. And there's, a, there's another view, and we were talking about this on the break too, you know, some of these terms that we're going to use, you're going to say, well, I've never heard that before. Well, chances are you have, you just didn't know that it was called this. Um, one of the views that's become popular today, and it's been popular for hundreds of years, is called Molinism. Molinism is the attempt to try and reconcile human freedom with uh, God's sovereignty, um, it's based on what is called middle knowledge, and it's this idea that in addition to God knowing all actual things that happen, he knows all possible things that could happen given certain conditions. And in a certain sense, I would say that God does possess so-called middle knowledge. You could see it in Scripture in 1 Samuel 23, where David asks the Lord um, if, if he stays in Kaliah, if Saul and his men will come and attack him. And he says, yes, if you stay, the people of Kaliah will hand you over. And so he leaves. And so that didn't happen. But what Molinism does is it actually takes it a step further. Molinism teaches that God foresees and knows all possibilities. And then on that basis, he makes his decisions and provisions with a view to all those possibilities. So brothers, can you flesh this out a little bit more for us and tell us what's the problem with this view?
3: See, I was trying to... to go here before Josh just did all that so that I wouldn't have to answer the question. But <laughs> he still manipulated it back.
2: That's right. So, so what you're saying is you were afraid this was coming and you're, you're managing the, the moment as it, as it comes. I know, <laughs> I know. In, in other words, you're not God. No, it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm making a joke there, but, but very seriously, what Molinism does is it once again reduces God to, to managing the, the moment mm-hmm. as it comes to him. And and God may know you know various futures that might happen, but is not really sovereign over them, um, and and does not really know them and, until until the moment, and, and and such a being such a being would not be God. Yeah.
0: Well, there are popular there are popular apologists that hold this today, yeah. right. um, the hold this view that God sees all the different possible worlds that could be, mm-hmm. and then He elects the one world that's the best of all possible worlds.
1: What what the middle? This middle knowledge is really a philosophical uh, attempt to maintain human absolute human freedom. Autonomy autonomy, you know, so that I'm always acting in an autonomous, independent, free sort of way. And God is the ultimate chess player who knew every th- possible thing. and In fact, he actually has created all these worlds in which it's all going to happen in. And he put me in the per- this particular world um, and everybody else in that particular world mm-hmm. uh, to, for all those events to play out according to our independent, absolute free will. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about middle knowledge about him knowing certain things he knows he he does he does know he has a necessary knowledge he has a knowledge of of the obvious uh, facts he knows he knows obvious truth he knows that two plus two equals four he knows he knows uh, you know that the the whole is greater than the parts and that uh, he, and god's necessary knowledge also includes all those possibilities such as possible people and possible lives and in that but those are all known immediately and intuitively to god mm-hmm. the his free knowledge though is his knowledge of his decree that which he and his wisdom uh, freely and unchangeably ordained to come to pass and and middle knowledge is really upset with that part and you know what he freely and and um, unchangeably ordained to pass. So when we would talk about uh, you know Samuel and asking the questions of God there in First Samuel twenty three, we would understand that. Uh, you know, God didn't simply see what Saul would do. God had ordained what Saul would yeah, do. That's why I said um, in a certain yeah. sense,
0: totally agree. With he, yeah.
1: he, he ordained that David was going to depart from Kaliah. Yeah. Uh, see, he ordained that Saul would uh, change his mind. Middle knowledge is unnecessary to an all-knowing, all decreeing God. Um, and Molinism, this idea of this... Independent free will makes it impossible for God to exercise his control over all of creation yeah. because men and women would be free to resist his will yeah
3: yeah I um taught American government for fifteen years, and definitions mattered to me because in our current um, American landscape and the political world, terminology has gone to the to the birds um, and people use terminology incorrectly all of the time, and I said to my students. I don't care what you believe or what you end up thinking someday, but I do care that you use terminology in the right way. Um, We don't get to define the terms. The terms are defined for us, and our job is to use them in public dialogue in a way that is faithful and consistent with the terminology. Mm -hmm. So the problem with um, Molinism is that they have changed the terminology as Mm -hmm. defined by God. Mm -hmm. God is sovereign and sovereignty is defined a certain way mm-hmm. and that when you begin to mess with that what you you've said is I don't like how the Bible has defined what it means to be the sovereign God that governs over all things mm-hmm. and that by his decree all things come to pass mm-hmm. That is the biblical definition of sovereignty yeah. mm-hmm. Our job is to use that definition correctly in all aspects of our thinking and not change it when we want it to fit our own independence our own desire for uh, autonomy Um, really it's about submitting to the god that is and not trying to make a god that we would want yeah that's right yeah and you know
0: let's let's bring it back to the Bible real quick. I mean, if, if we wanted to take either one of these views, the reform view that you've been talking about, or this other view, this this view of Molinism, let's just go to the Bible. What does Romans nine say about these things? When Paul's talking about election, he, he never talks about it in terms of electing a group of people or a possible world. He's always talking about it in terms of electing um, specific individuals that are in Christ. And um, you know, I mean, I would just challenge you as a listener, if you're listening to this and you're like, man, this, this seems pretty deep stuff. What are we talking about? Go to the Bible. Go read Romans. Go, go see what God says about his own election. He is unashamed about the way that he governs the universe. He puts it on display for us to see. Why? So that we could be in awe of his power and his omniscience and his sovereignty and his glory.
3: Well, I would just say real quickly that Psalm 139, 16 says, Your eye saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And the response of the psalmist to that was, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Amen. We rest in the fact that he sovereignly governs over all things and knows all things.
0: Amen. You've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We'll see you next time.